you have, uh, if you have Bibles with you, uh, turn to Psalm 4. Uh, last week we, we talked a little about, um, about Psalm 19, that God's glory is seen in the creation, that God's glory is seen in his word, and then as we respond in worship and obedience, we bring glory to God. Uh, but I began to think about, you know, what if, what if most of our lives you just don't see a lot of glory around you right now? You just don't see the glory, you don't feel it that it's really tough, is what do we do at that point? And I want us to read, if you're at Psalm 4, it's also in your order of worship, if you don't have a Bible with you, but listen as we read, uh, as we read Psalm 4 together. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, own your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray to this God who offers us safety. Uh, God, we pray that you would not leave us unchanged. Your word is powerful. Uh, as we saw last week, it's, where we're, it's a place we're able to see your glory. Would you speak to us? Would you speak directly to our hearts? And would you change us. And we pray that, that it would bring us joy and peace, and that you would be honored and glorified. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, years and years ago, um, Joy and I, my wife, we visited uh, Covenant Seminary because we were trying to determine whether or not that was the place we were going to attend. And as we went on the tour around campus, they took us to a chapel service. We sat down, and this guy named Andy Crouch was speaking and he spoke about something that was really interesting, the joy that we feel when we listen to music. And at that time, it was before Spotify, and it was before Apple Music and all that. There was this thing called iTunes, and I think it's still around, right? So uh, he was talking about the joy you feel like when you buy that song. When you hear that new song or you buy that album, the joy that it brings you. And he said, you listen to that song, and you may even kind of can kind of have a sense of peace as you're listening to the song, and you just kind of relax, and you forget about the trouble out here for just a few minutes. But then he talked about it doesn't take but like days, maybe a couple of weeks, and that joy kind of seems to start slipping away. The song doesn't bring the same peace and joy that it did have, but it, you kind of feel anxious to get that joy back again. You know, give me a new song. Give me something different. Most of us, that's what we want, right? Peace, joy. We want to experience peace and joy in our families. We want it in our lives. But sometimes we want to achieve that by bringing new habits or bringing new toys into the mix. But it doesn't last, does it? And it can't last because like that song, it just gets old because created things, aren't they just aren't built to last forever. And our tendency is to keep chasing after these things, no matter the cost, to get back the peace and joy. But 
What if it were actually possible to have peace and joy that's not dependent on our circumstances? Psalm 4 says it is possible and that we can have it because true joy and true peace are gifts of God. So how do we take hold of those gifts? Well, let's follow David's lead here in Psalm 4 and see what he does. And he actually does three things that we're going to talk about. He prays, he evaluates, and he anticipates. So let's look. How are we to pray? What are we supposed to do? How do we pray? What do we say? Well, well, what does David do first? He acknowledges his need. So we need to acknowledge that we have needs. Look at verse 1. He says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You already hear kind of the the anxiety, kind of the, the great need that he's feeling in his voice. He wants this thing to be gone. Answer me, O God of my righteousness. And you kind of hear he's kind of making a demand of God. I need you to answer me. And kind of my first reaction when I'm reading that is I was like, that's kind of inappropriate. I mean, this is God. I mean, who are we to talk to God that way? I need you to answer me. But we kind of see in the next phrase kind of where he gets permission to speak to to God this way. He says, oh, God of my righteousness. That's a word, righteousness. We kind of use it sometimes in church, and it's kind of like, I don't use that word anywhere else outside. What does that mean? Think about righteousness as meaning rightness in every area of your life. So rightness in your family. Rightness in your workplace. Rightness in your neighborhood. Rightness everywhere you go. I mean, how many of us right now experience rightness in all of those areas. How many of us can even imagine what that would be like to experience rightness in every place that we set our feet? So David seems to be doing two things here. He's acknowledging that God is the rightness, the righteousness that he desperately needs. Because if David's cause is right and God actually answers him, then God is acting righteously. So God of my righteousness, I need you to be righteous. I need you to be the rightness here. The second thing, a lot of the scholars and the commentators, they kind of see that David is sort of saying that, that God, the relationship he has with God is right. That there's things imploding around me. Everything is falling apart. But my relationship with you is experiencing rightness. There is righteousness in the relationship that I have with you. And look at the end of verse 1. He kind of ends it the same way he started it. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. Some of your translations might say mercy instead of gracious, but it's kind of the same idea, right? I am calling out to you, God. I need you to answer me. All right, what about the basis of this, this kind of prayer? How can we pray with this kind of boldness? We need to look at the other thing that David does. He remembers God's faithfulness. Look at that middle section of verse 1 that we kind of skipped over. He says, You have given me relief when I was in distress. He prays a big prayer because his God has done big things. 
I mean, think back if you know anything about David's life. He's the youngest brother in a large family. He's overlooked. He goes off and when he beats a giant, Goliath, because he was after God's righteousness. And God even gave him, chose him to be king and gave him a promise of victory and territory and that someone would always sit on the throne from his family. David can look back over the history of his life, God's faithfulness, and it gives him confidence and boldness to pray for continued faithfulness. Because what most of us need is actually the thing that drives us to our knees in prayer. And some of you, I may have told this story when I was at the end of seminary. I told you one story at the beginning. Toward the end of seminary, we were about to graduate, and we lived on campus in uh, the student housing. And toward the end, I was applying to different churches. And at one time, I was in conversations with six different churches at one time. And so we're having all these conversations, and just one by one, it went down to like five, four, three, two, one, zero. No churches. And so we're approaching graduation, and there's no job. And so I can remember sitting on our little couch in our little apartment, staring into the kitchen at the little oven timer, sitting there, and it's like midnight, 12.15, 12.30, something around there, and just going, God, we're about to be homeless. Because you can't stay in student housing if you're not a student anymore. I have no place to go, and we're about to be homeless. I need you to answer my prayer. And the, the part that was missing from my prayers there was an acknowledgement of his faithfulness. David was driven to prayer out of his need, yes. But it was mostly a confidence in God's past faithfulness that drove him to boldly pray. So how about your prayers? Do you find you only pray? The only time you pray is when there's a need that needs to be answered. It is right and it is good to pray to God when we are in need, but David's confidence is not just for a God that's going to fix all his problems, but he prays out of an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness. I find that my prayers sometimes, and yours might be too, it kind of ends up with sort of this Christian karma-like thing, like, I have been faithful, I've been doing what I need to do, it, it's kind of time for you to show me some love. It, it's kind of time for you to kick in your end of the bargain. Or other times it's kind of like this blind faith, like, I've done everything I can do, I don't know what else to do, so I'll give God a shot. I'll just shoot up there, blind faith, hopefully, if God's still up there, if he's actually listening to me, because I don't see it, but if he's actually listening to me, maybe he'll, maybe he'll actually answer. God's actually calling us to neither one of those in prayer. Not karma, not blind faith, but a trust in his faithfulness. It's a God that is more powerful than our circumstances because <coughs> it has to be or else we're just going to end up doubting in the midst of the crisis. If God and the circumstances are kind of, we don't know who's going to be more powerful, we'll doubt every time. And this is one of the reasons we do, from time to time, God stories. We stand up here and talk about God's faithfulness to us. We need to hear it. 
We need to hear that God is faithful. I've had friends that keep a prayer journal for the very reason that they can go back a year ago, turn back and go, look at the needs I had, and now look at the present. Look at how God answered. We need reminders of God's faithfulness. So need is one motivation for why we pray, but the foundation has got to be his faithfulness, the faithfulness he has to his people. But while we're praying, we actually need to do something, right? While we're praying, we can't just sit still. While we're praying for that true joy and true peace, what does David do? Well, he reflects. This is verses 2 through 6. What does he reflect on? Kind of the same thing we reflect on, the sources of his trouble. The sources of David's trouble in Psalm 4 are the people that are around him. And, and how many of us can relate to David here that the problem is, is all these people out here? All the people that are around us, they're the problem. And that's what David is, the source of his trouble is these problems. So we're going to take this into two, two directions. The first thing, we're going to look at the different groups of people that are speaking into David's life. We're going to look at the powerful, the faithful, and then the despairing. So those are the voices speaking in. And then we're going to look at the truth that David actually brings to deal with those responses. So verse 2, David says, calls out, O men. And some of your Bibles may have a little footnote that says men of rank. And it seems to be like these are kind of the powerful people in society, and they're questioning David's leadership. Some kind of think these were people that were previously loyal to David, but now are kind of against him. They're kind of questioning his leadership. Why would they, why would they shift their allegiance? Look at what David says. How long will you, will you love vain words and seek after lies? They've come to believe gossip. They've come to believe slander, and they're convinced David is the problem. So at the bottom of the threat, these influential and powerful people, they possibly have enough power and enough influence to get David out of there, and so it causes David to fear. That was the powerful. What about the faithful? Verse 4. Now these people, they, they seem to be those that are loyal to David. But the problem is they're kind of acting impulsively. They're kind of seeking to avenge David, to vindicate his rule. And so David tells them, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts and on your beds and be silent. Did you realize it's not a sin to be angry? but it is a sin to allow the anger to drive you into other things, in this case, to revenge, even if it's with good intentions. So when he says, ponder on your beds, imagine those last little moments before you actually fall asleep where you're just sitting there and you just kind of are thinking. These people are apparently like sitting on their bed and they're plotting. How can I get these people out of the mix and get David back on his throne? And they're willing to do anything it takes to make that happen. And David is saying, instead of pondering that way, ponder on the faithfulness of God. So in other words, he wants them to just let God be God, let God act. The last group is in <coughs> verse 6, the despairing. I kind of think when, if you remember Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, if you remember Eeyore, think about Eeyore, look what they're saying. 
Who will show us some good? It's over. What are we going to do now? You kind of hear Eeyore in there. So what does he say? They're in despair. The circumstances have become so big and so overwhelming that they just, what's the answer? It's over. You ever been there? Circumstances are monstrous. It's taller than the building. You're down here. Don't feel like God is anywhere. And it's, well, I just give up. It's over. So what does David say to them? All these people are whispering, whispering in his ear. And we've got to see the truth that answers the trouble. So let's look. We're going to hear all of this. So, so look again at Psalm 4. So first, the answer to the powerful. Verse 2. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So David is reminding the powerful of their standing. You have power. God has more. You have influence. But God created the world. David's reminding them of their standing. The godly here is those that are obedient, the truly faithful to God. It's almost like he's saying, you, you're messing with God's family. What about those who are faithful but want to solve the problems kind of in a violent way? Verse 5, he tells them to offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And he's not just telling them, go through the motions. Offer sacrifices from the heart. God doesn't want them to just say, hey, I've changed my mind. He doesn't want us to just change our minds. He wants us to put our trust in God's ability to deal out justice. Can God, does God know what justice is, and can he actually make it happen, even if we don't see how that's going to work? And look at the Eeyores in verse 6. David quotes from uh, the blessing that was given to Moses' brother Aaron from Numbers 6. And this is what it says in Numbers 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What's the answer to their despair? God's presence. Because to lift up the light of your face means... God, be here. Be here and be blessing us. We need you to be present, and we need you to be actually blessing us. Most of, uh, well, our daughter, our daughter Amarin is almost a year old, and periodically we will take her into like, we'll be holding her, and we'll hold her up to like a mirror. Have you ever seen this with like little, little kids? You look into the mirror, and we can tell she's a little confused because she, she looks in the mirror, and she tries to, pat it, she tries to touch the, her reflection and sometimes if we're holding her we can position ourselves where we, she can see both of us, see herself and us, and we'll say, hey Amarin, and she, she you can tell she's a little confused, she's looking at the reflection, and then she hears the voice coming from somewhere else, so she kind of looks at us and then she looks back and she looks at us and so it's a really confusing little experience for her, it's kind of fun for us a little confusing for her <laughs> but at some point, at some point we, we kind of just go, we kind of pick her up and we like back away and we take her away from the reflection, away from the confusion and what does she have? Us. She has us. She's safe. Most of David's challenges in the world are coming down to a trust in God. Do I trust in God to keep me safe? 
do we believe that what God has said and done, no matter what the world and no matter what our circumstances are reflecting, do we believe that God is more powerful than they are? And also, the harder part is, do we actually confront that reflection with truth? I have heard, and you probably, I'm guessing you probably have numerous times, asked Larry if it was okay to, to share this, and you have probably heard Larry on more than one occasion quote Romans 8.28. You've probably heard him say, uh, say, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Why does Larry do that? Is he just proving that he can memorize scripture and wants to spit it out? He's not just relying on the reflection that he's seeing. The confusion is he is dealing with his wife's recovery from back surgery and all the confusion and all the chaos that's going on there. He's actually bringing truth in to fight despair. He's bringing truth in to fight the circumstances that are being reflected around him. And this is why we study God's word. We don't study it because it's magic. It's not some spell that we can spit out a Bible verse and all of a sudden the chaos disappears. But we do it because there is a faithful God who is standing behind it. And we learn to trust him no matter how confusing the reflection is. Well, look, let's look at the last part. How do we find true joy and true peace when our circumstances aren't changing? When the difficult friendship that we have or the anxiety to achieve a lot of success, whether it's at work or in school, or medical problems that just won't go away. Or parenting, that kind of sometimes feels like it's a, just a losing battle. How do we believe we'll ever find lasting joy and peace? And the third thing that we can see David doing is he anticipates so one definition of anticipation is looking to a future action based on past events. So a gardener that plants in the ground, they receive a lot of joy by planting that seed in the ground, but there's also an anticipation for what's going to bloom in time. So sometimes the anticipation is waiting for the bloom, but taking joy in the seed that is there. So let's look at the seed of joy. Verse 7. David says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. There's nothing there that David's eyes and his hands can actually grab onto. Because what he can grab onto is what the people were actually pushing on him. You know, influence, power. Just give up. It's, uh, circumstances, just give up. Just sit here and just let it happen. Or just let us take it out. We've got a plan and we can take them out. Those are things we can do. But David, there's a joy there that's something that he's not able to manufacture. And did you know joy is different than happiness? Sometimes we use those as synonyms. They're the same thing. But most of us can say, I've been happy today. I'm happy today, but then tomorrow it just takes one circumstance or one conversation or one wrong turn and happiness just floats away. But joy is something that remains. It's a fruit of the Spirit. David says that his heart has joy that is greater to him 
grain and wine, that's like all the riches. That joy that he's feeling is more valuable than everything else in the world. All the riches that I could possibly have because they're fleeting, right? They're only here for a little while, but joy stays with him. And look where that joy leads him, to a blessing of peace. In verse 8, David says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's what we want, right? Peace, rest, safety. How do we get there? Most of us probably don't go to sleep at night in that state of mind. It's probably exactly the opposite on most nights. How do we grab onto joy and peace? We've got to realize that whether we sit here this morning as a Christian or not a Christian, we all want, tr- we all want joy and peace that's going to last. It's not going to evaporate away. But what we actually do is we constantly, you know, buy new music. We bring new toys into it and over and over and over because we want that joy to last. We want it to stick and to not go away. This is why sometimes friendships will break down. This is why a job can't fulfill us and why we can never actually have enough money to satisfy because they just can't do it. They are not built to bring joy and peace. Because if you put that kind of burden on a friendship, or if you expect a spouse or someone to give you true joy and peace that will never last away, you're going to crush them. They can't bear that burden. Because the negative part of this is joy and peace, you can't get it. But you can receive it because it's a gift. Look at 7 and 8. He says, You have put more joy in my heart. Then in 8, You alone, O Lord, you make me dwell in safety. There is a complete and utter grace that God is providing. He's providing joy and peace. Remember that anticipation that it's looking to past events with confidence toward the future action? David is remembering a promise that God had given to him that one of his descendants one day would sit on a throne forever. And what would this descendant do? He would execute perfect justice. He would bring about lasting peace because he was going to conquer all of his enemies. And he was going to provide a place to live in where God was going to be there. But David, for all of his life, he saw very little of that. And even in Psalm 4, by the end of it, his circumstances haven't changed, but he has peace and joy. Because for us, he's looking to the past faithfulness, and for you and me, we're doing the same thing. The past faithfulness of this son of David, Jesus. He's the greater David. We can know God will actually bring about a day. One day, it's coming. We're one day closer to it where we'll have joy and peace that won't just last for a few minutes or a few days or maybe even a few months, but it will be permanent. 
So today or tomorrow or the next month, you may experience a little glimpse of the joy. But unless we connect it to the peace and joy that this greater son is going to bring, that he's bringing, we're never going to be able to rest. So put your faith. Put your faith in this true son of David, Jesus, and rest in him. And let's together anticipate a day when all of us, all we're going to know every day, every second, is true and lasting joy and peace. Let's pray to this God together. God, this is, this is what we want. This is what we need. This is what we're after. We want joy and we want peace and we don't just want a little bit of it. We want all of it. We want it to be something that will last forever and never end. And we can't go out and buy it. We can't go out and find it. We can't find it from a friend or in relationships. We can get it from you. And I pray that you would be kind, that you would show us glimpses of it, and that that would increase our confidence for the day when you will provide perfect peace and rest. We pray that we would rest in Jesus alone. We pray it in his name. Amen.